So hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 150, our 150th episode of Level Up. 60 minutes, of course, of live Q&A, where your questions really do drive the show. Both Adriana and Ella are over in the chat on this uh, milestone um, event today. So do please let them know your name and, of course, the city from where you're joining around the world. They're going to post some links into the chat so that you can vote up the questions that you would most like answered and, of course, for you to add your own as well. If your question, of course, is selected, then you're going to appear in the credits at the end of the show. So do get those questions in early and stay with us to see all of that happening. Today, we're celebrating not just one milestone, but actually several. In addition to it being our 150th episode, we've also this year celebrating 10 years of working with the originators of the Better Business Case certification, the qualification that helps professionals around the world improve how they author, how they edit, and how they deliver business cases to organizations. And in fact, when it first started 10 years ago, I think it would have been hard to imagine just how popular it would be. More than 20,000 certifications, qualified individuals have been taken around the world on better business cases alone, which is an incredible milestone if you think about it. A business case, of course, is almost always needed to justify why something new should be started in an organization. And it can often be the difference between success and and failure because great business cases generally lead to things turning out correctly in the end. So with this in mind, I'm delighted to be joined today by an expert panel who can really rely on helping us explore the topic. So let's jump in and meet them all. Um, Welcome back to Eileen Roden. She is, of course, the co-founder of the House of PMO. She's a fellow over at the Association for Project Management in the UK and, of course, a very experienced um, trainer and consultant in business cases in her own right. So welcome back to Level Up, Eileen. Lovely to see you. Um, Lovely to be here and particularly because uh, the uh, better business cases, some of the best best practice that's out there uh, and really I think kind of helps us get a much better uh, and robust business case for our organisations. Completely agree with you. It's well written, well architected and it makes a massive difference because I think often we kind of think as individuals, well, where do you even begin with that? You know, what does, a, what does good look like kind of thing? And it's very clear from the BBC guidance. Uh, Laurie Bowman is, of course, head of the Project Portfolio Planning and Control at Synchrony rather projects over in uh, Brisbane in Australia, um, where his background in complex engineering and construction really does help his clients adopt leading practice. So welcome back to Level Up, Laurie. Great to see you. Uh, very good to be here. Thank you, Nick. Uh, welcome, listeners and fellow, fellow panellists. I'm very much looking forward to this uh, very interesting and important topic today. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Laurie. Shola Isaac is making his first appearance here on Level Up. He's the executive director over at Training Creatively here in the UK, where he delivers a wide range of project and uh, program management training for clients across multiple industries, really, and time zones. Um, So welcome to Level Up, Shola. Brilliant to see you. Thank you very much, Nick. And um, nice seeing my fellow panelists as well. And I'm looking forward to a lively discussion over the next one hour. 
Thank you. <laughs> okay, all right. Thank you very much. And completing our panel today is Mark Rovers, of course, a consistent supporter of Level Up right from the early days. He's the president over at Interprom, where both in the US and, of course, in Europe, they strive to really listen to their clients and help them adopt leading practice across a whole range of different disciplines. Mark, I think it's fair to say, has a passion building communities, um, something that he actually shares in common with many of our panel today who have invested in their own communities of practice throughout their careers. So welcome back to Level Up, Mark. Lovely to see you. Thank you, Nick. And thank you, APMG. Congratulations on the 150th episode. Um, I know I learned a lot over these 150 episodes, um, and I hope the audience can say the same thing. And congratulations over 20,000 exams. That's fantastic. What a milestone. I'm sure the world is now better off with all these uh, professionals. So uh, looking forward to some great questions that uh, I've seen that were already submitted. So thank you. Thanks very much indeed, Marta. I think you're right. I think it, there's not an episode that doesn't go by without me learning a great deal. So I completely agree with you. It's a fantastic CPD opportunity every week, twice a week, um, to join in and take part. Completing our on-screen team today is our question master, Charlotte Miller. She's joining us here from the Thames Valley in the UK. So um, welcome, Charlotte. Have you had a good week this week? It's been a really good week this week. Um, I'm on four-day week, and then we've got a four-day week next week in the UK with the celebration of the 1st of, uh, of May. Um, it's happening a lot around the world. And I'm super excited that we're on the 150th level up episode. Absolutely. I think you were there for episode one, and you're here for episode 150. So um, very well done with that. We must be doing something right. And um, Monday is, of course, a celebration of um, the workers around the world, everybody who's who's working around the world. Um, the beginning of May is a traditional time to celebrate and um, uh, take a little bit of time to reflect on the contribution that everybody makes. So Fantastic. Well, on that note, I can see lots of people joining in um, online in the chat. So please do let us know the city from where you're joining and your name so that we can feature you throughout the show. That would be really great and um, welcome you to Level Up. Very good. Let's get straight into it then, Charlotte, if we can. and We'll take our first question, please. Thanks, Nick. Our um, first question is from Milvio. Why do business cases increase in page number numbers when it's requesting a large amount of money? It's almost like an unwritten rule. <laughs> it certainly is. Laurie, why don't you start us off with this? Well, uh, it's a, thank you, Milvio, for the question. It's a good um, observation. It's, uh, generally, the more money that's being spent generally, the more complex the project tends to be, which means um, possibly there's going to be larger ramifications or possible economic um, ramifications that, that require a bit more evaluation. So it is quite natural that the number of pages are going to increase. Um, not, not only is the complexity increasing, but also typically the range of stakeholders. So the larger the project generally, you're going to be impacting more systems, more stakeholders, which typically means there's more uncertainty, more unrisk that needs to be unraveled and articulated through the business case. So there is a bit of method uh, in the madness and the intention behind the business case is to help people make the right decision. 
Yeah, I do think though that sometimes, you know, the temptation is to weigh a business case, you know, rather than to write succinctly. So I think if you're if you're seeing this, you know, growing word count, it's always good to have somebody as an editor. Just kind of look at that and say, are we losing the clarity here? Is there anything that we could do to just clarify and re- reduce the word count, but keep the meaning? That's the key thing. So thank you very much indeed, Laurie. Good point. Um, uh, Eileen, let's hear your thoughts and then we'll go to Mart. And I think I was actually going to pick up a, a bit on uh, what you were just mentioned about there, Nick. Um, the business case, um, or I would suggest the, the information we have that's kind of fed into the business case. Um, and as, as Laurie was suggesting about kind of the number of people we've had to speak to because of the stakeholders, but it doesn't always mean it all has to go in the main document. The use of appendices for reference is a key element. And you may have held a particular workshop that actually has references for two or three sections within the business case. So rather than regurgitating all of that in all of those three sections, use appendices with care, and then people can go and read that detail if they want to. But having that kind of succinct summary of what the outcomes of those workshops, the recommendations from those workshops, is really what the kind of the decision makers need to go through. Mm. And I, I, who doesn't like a good appendix, you know, but in all seriousness, though, it helps organize the content so that if you are reviewing and typically a business case, there are several iterations of it, you know, there's a very first draft and so on, and it progresses in maturity and so on. So you don't really want to be reviewing every single appendix un- unless it's relevant you know, to the, the part of the jigsaw puzzle that you're trying to represent. So really good point. Thank you, Eileen. Very, very helpful indeed. Um, Mart, your thoughts, please. The way I inter- interpreted the question, uh, when the amount of money is larger, I'm, I'm assuming that um, you want to make better informed decisions. In other words, the more information, the better informed, the better the decision. Um, and of course, it's not about quantity, it's about quality of the data. Let's keep that in mind. Uh, so that's the other point I want to highlight. And the other thing I was thinking of when I saw the question, well, maybe we become better at business cases and uh, put more information to the business case um, and be better informed. And if all that doesn't explain it and you still don't like the number of pages, and now I'm totally kidding, just reduce the font size. Maybe that helps. <laughs> It won't help. It certainly won't help me. As I'm getting older, I need bigger type. I need bigger type, not smaller type, um, Mark. So, yeah, you might sneak something past me if it's in eight-point lettering in italics written in white on a white background, that kind of thing. Um, but there you go. Um, now, I think uh, I think you, you raised all panel. Uh, thank you so much. You raised some really, really good points here. There are There is justification for having a more comprehensive coverage where you are proposing something which is either you know complex or where there is a higher degree of risk or uncertainty around things and so on to illustrate that there are pros as well as cons and that's an important element of getting the business case correct you know sometimes it's easier to describe something that is not going to be in the scope rather than something that is, if that makes sense, and almost work on the antithesis of your proposal in order to crystallise in your mind what the key elements 
really, really are. So what a great question, Mil- Milvio. Thank you um, for raising it. And uh, thank you for entering it into Slido um, ahead of the event. That's really fantastic. Charlotte, I think um, if we may, we're going to move on. So let's take our next question, please. Thanks, Nick. Um, a question from Agogogu. What makes an excellent business case and how can a project manager improve on developing good business cases for different projects? All right. Okay, let's start with Eileen, then we'll go to Shola next. One of the things that I think we need to remember when we're developing business cases is that it's there to help the organisation decide on whether to invest. And so when we start off that process, we have to recognise that not investing is an option. And therefore, to me, a really good business case is one that gives a very balanced view that we know that actually kind of the options have been uh, looked at fairly and we're not just to present the reasons kind of why it's a good case and you feel as though actually they've not really explored what perhaps some different options might be or actually uh, given the opportunity to look at the the concept of of not making a huge change and not making huge investment in the first place. Mm, It's such an important thing you know sometimes the right decision is not to proceed and I, and I and i think sometimes especially you know when you're early in your career the idea is is that you know we're almost obsessed with trying to persuade everybody to do everything and, and actually it's not the case we just want to surface sufficient information sufficient data if you like to so that the organization can make an informed choice and that's a very very different thing to try to guess everything across the line at the first at the first go. Brilliant. Thank you so much, um, uh, Eileen. Shola, your thoughts, then we'll hear from Laurie. That's a great question, you know, and um, a business case is there to get investments so we can bring about a business change in the organization. So the information in the business case is really important and the BBC course contains information on five different headings that we call cases, the strategic case, which shows how the proposed investments linked to strategies of the organization. It contains information on the economic case, reflecting value for money, contains information on the financial case, how the change will be funded, how it is affordable, contains information on the management case, and also contains information on the commercial case. All this provides appropriate information, making your business case excellent. But one thing you should be aware of is that your business case needs to be consumed by relevant audiences. So your presentation of your business case is also very important. Ellen Elian mentioned using appendices. So you summarize information in the overall business case format that you are using. But you can also use things like um, business canvases, business case canvases, which Hmm virtually illustrates the importance of what you are trying to change. Thank mm. you. It's such an important part. Thank you, Shelley. It's a very comprehensive answer. And I think we might be exploring some of those categories, if you like. You spoke about economic and you spoke about financial and you spoke about commercial, you know, as being perhaps related, but indeed separate 
um, ways of looking at the same business case so that you have a different perspective in order to be able to create that informed decision point. So we will come back to those uh, momentarily. Thank you very much um, for your thoughts. Um, Let's then hear from Laurie next, and then we'll go to Mart. Uh, Firstly, I I agree with um, uh, Aileen and uh, Shola. So it's really about being comprehensive and assessing the, uh, the costs and the benefits as well as pulling it together in a coherent way for a decision maker to make a good decision, um, whatever that decision is. I think the only thing that I would add is a, a useful frame, I think, is to to, un- to, or to be sure that the business case is assessing the economic impacts, the social impacts, and the environmental impacts, particularly if it's a, an infrastructure rather than an internal project or something like that. Yeah, it's it's a really important dimension, isn't it? In the past, it used to be seen as something at the periphery of a decision, the environmental case or the um, the case uh, if you are working in infrastructure, the kind of the impact on citizens or the impact on the you know the local environment is how how impactful things like I don't know a, a, a high speed rail line could be really brilliant to connect people from different cities together or reduce a commute for a community. But when it runs through neighbourhoods in order to be able to achieve that high speed of travel, then it's highly impactful on the people who are displaced from those neighbourhoods. So you're absolutely right, Laurie. Now I think we take a more holistic view perhaps about you know um, exploring all of those different impacts and making sure that they are represented properly in the business case. Um, Mart, your thoughts on this? question uh two things quickly uh, i was looking at a business case for um the value proposition that is being presented uh, by the uh, authors and then the other part is when did these authors uh literally i mean did they take this outside in perspective as in the context of the whole business case did they take into account sufficiently things like the um, the, the customer's uh, point of view, what's in it for the customer, or the market, the industry, uh, and as in, do they know the world uh, around the business case uh, that this um, proposal is going to be you know, beneficial to? So that's, those are the two things I would like to recommend. Yeah, it's a really good point. Thank you very much. So um, let's summarize then if we can. I think excellence in business cases falls into many different dimensions that the panel has spoken about. One thing that I would suggest to you as well is that often business cases are explored in different ways. Some people are reading them. Some people are consuming them as they're being presented. And if you're presenting a business case, particularly one which is iterative and evolving, then really consider how do you tell that story? How do you construct the story so that you are able to articulate clearly the journey that you are trying to bring the organization on and the intended outcomes of that investment? Because it's the storytelling that becomes memorable. As the word count grows, so sometimes people's memories 
fade. So there's an inversely proportional relationship there. So you need, as the owner of the business case, to ensure that you're communicating it clearly and um, succinctly throughout. And storytelling is a great way to be able to connect people with the complexities of the business case, if you like, and leave them with some really good thoughts to be able to ponder. Um, Let's just have a quick look over on social. I can see lots of different people joining today. We've got um, uh, Adeboyega. Um, He's joining from uh, Dada in Buckingham. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Great for you to be online today. And um, also Adriana, looking very scholarly there. I'm imagining, Adriana, that that was shortly after one of your degree ceremonies celebrating your studying success so thank you very much for joining us from the nation's capital in the uk today and um ella is uh, joining us also from the thames valley so brilliant to have you online now remember if you are in the chats either on youtube or on linkedin just say hi introduce yourself and then we'll give you a shout out and get you involved in the show great let's move on charlotte if we can we'll take our next question please Thanks, Nick. We've got a question from a previous panelist, Falco. He asks, there are different types of business cases, lean, project, product. When do I use which one and how do they differ? Mm, that's a really good question, Falco. And Falco is, um, as we say, a previous panelist, quite an expert in his own right in this area. So who's going to be fascinated by our answers here? All right, why don't you start us off? Uh, th- thank you for the question, Falco. So I'm not um, entirely familiar with a lean uh, business case, but I think I can still answer the question to some extent. Um, ideally, your, your, your organisation should have some sort of a governance framework that determines depending on certain criteria. Typically, that'll be around the risk or the level of investment that's being made, what type of business case needs to be prepared. So a lower Level investment will typically be less rigorous in the requirements for a business case. Um, Certainly product and project business cases are really intending to do the same thing, to inform an investment decision. The difference being for a a product, it's typically a a new product that might be developed for going to market or for manufacture or something like that, whereas a project tends to be more bespoke and a one-off. But essentially the principles are the same. Yeah, I would agree with that, Laurie. And I think, you know, the best business case, the perfect business case is the one that is sized to meet the circumstances. You know, you you need to contextualize, you know, a business case. Sometimes a business case can be a conversation. Be a conversation, you know, to get you going on something. It might be just enough just, you know, to be able to say to somebody, look, I'm I'm gonna you know, thinking of spending a bit of time researching this, you know, that conversation, starting that conversation off can be just enough to be able to perform that next step. Whereas the formal business case, you know, once you're beginning to, you know, collate your thoughts, having done that initial exploration, you know, may take a very different form indeed, and always needs to reflect the nature of the work that is going to be intended. Um, So Falco, I think, you know, we are going to come back to you, all right? And we're going to explore that particular question a little bit further when you're actually on the panel as well. But I would say that, you know, whether you're working in an agile environment and you're thinking in terms of product as in, you know, um, an agile context, or if you're thinking in terms of lean for continuous improvement and, you know, um, looking at the efficiency and the effectiveness of change within an organization, whatever your starting point, Big or small, 
fit the business case to your circumstances and use that guiding consulting principle of it depends. <laughs> it depends. Okay. And think about that a little bit. Very good. Excellent. Charlotte, let's move on. I can see the questions are starting to stack up now. Thanks, Nick. We've got a question from Sam. And Sam asks, what is the difference between an economic and financial business case? All right. Well, this is a really good question, Sam, because you're taking us inside the guidance. So um, let's start off with Shola and then we'll hear from Laurie. Great question, Sam. And um, both of them, both economic and financial business cases are actually um, different types of information contained in the one business case. Earlier on, we also mentioned three other areas of focus, strategic, procurement, or commercial, as well as management. But specific to your question, the main difference between the economic information and the financial information in the business case is this. In the economic case, you are now confirming the value for money that investment in this proposed change will bring to the organization. Whereas the financial case is looking at um, how are you going to fund the business change and also how are you going to afford, sort out the expenses incurred in the change. Both of them are very useful. Alongside with the three other headings, they make up an excellent business case. Great okay, question, Sam. Thank, yeah, thank you. It is very insightful because often the simplest questions are the ones that actually start us really, really thinking. So it is a great question. Um, let's explore it a little further. Laurie, your thoughts, please, and then we'll hear from Eileen. Uh, yes, so my understanding is that the economic assessment within a business case tends to look more broadly and rather than just considering the return on investment for a particular company or something like that, it might look at impacts to things like um, employment or different different markets that might be within the region or the community or the surrounding area. So it tends to look, tends to be for larger projects firstly. Secondly, it looks more broadly beyond the organisation actually delivering and looking at some of the ripple effects that might happen in the broader economy. Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? Because sometimes um, we're very fortunate in, in anybody's first language, you'll have multiple words, and we do in English, we have multiple words that need, mean almost the same thing, but they don't really mean the same thing. It's just that day-to-day -day language, we might substitute one term for the other, but in reality, they do have a distinct focus to them. And the economy, you're quite right, Laurie, is a broader concept than just the financial return for the host organization on a particular business case. So really good distinction there, very clearly, very well made. Eileen, your thoughts, and then we'll hear from Mart. Yes, I think what we um, often forget when we're doing that economic case in terms of uh, justifying whether it's actually worth spending any money at all um, is not just thinking about spending any money at all, but how we're going to spend that money and looking at the particular options. Uh, typically, the financial case, by the time we get to do that, we're trying to demonstrate the cash flow to say, look, we can definitely afford it. The economic case tends to be much bigger than that because it's saying, actually, yes, we need to invest, but actually this option is better than that option, which is different to that other option. So we have to recognise the, the the different options that sit within the economic case that give us the choice. Uh, and again, just to go back a bit to kind of what I started off when talking about appendices, 
the um, when we're doing the financial case and the economic case, they're not two completely different exercises. We tend to use the same numbers, uh, the same calculations that go in both. They're just presented in a different way to tell a different story. Okay, that makes complete sense to me. I mean, one of the things I was talking a little earlier about using the example of a high-speed rail link, if the high-speed rail link is going to provide an economic return, when the first railways were built linking big cities, very big distances apart, people wanted railway stations to be built so that they would drive the local economy and small towns grew up around the places where the locomotive the steam locomotive will be refueled and new water put in and you know new wood or coal or whatever was going to be used to drive the engine and those communities benefited economically with a high-speed rail link of course the converse might be true you, you know your high-speed connection between the two major cities may be slowed down if the train keeps stopping all the way along the way. So there's a kind of a, those options that you were talking about, Eileen, on the economic case do vary. You know, you can't always have everything um, in equal measure. Very good. Thank you so much. Um, Mart, final thoughts on the economic versus the financial? Just briefly, the, the majority of answers have actually already uh, explained it very well. Um, the way I interpreted the question is that the financial is more cost-focused and the economic definitely more benefit or value-focused, and maybe it's the, the difference in focus. Yeah, it could well be. It could well be, because I think when Eileen was describing that you're reusing the same principal numbers, but you're telling a different sets of stories in each of those business case, in each of those elements rather of the business case, um, then that comes through very strongly. So yeah, really good point. Well made. Thank you so much, Mart. And thank you to Sam for the simple but very deep uh, question that you raised. It was a great one. Uh, really good to see. Thanks so much. Now, if you're watching in the audience and you want to submit your question to the panel, then please do. Um, Desilene, I can see that you've joined us today from Ethiopia. Great to have you online. And Tanya returns from the Cayman Islands. Not that we're remotely jealous, uh, Tanya, of whereabouts you are coming from in the world. It's really great to see you. And the same from uh, Manaranjan, who is joining us from uh, India. So I'm not sure which city that you're in. Um, uh, um, Manaranjan. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Tito is the city. All right. So thank you very much for sharing that um, with us. And uh, Adiyemi from Oxford as well. It's great to have you online. Um, I know that some of you have put in questions before. It would be great for you to put your question in now because time is kind of ticking on. We're about halfway through the show. So if you want a question to be put to the panel, please submit it now. Very good. Charlotte, let's move on. We'll take our next question, please. Thanks, Nick. We've got a question from my hometown, uh, John in Greater Manchester in the UK. Is the five cases model slash the Green Book the best documentation to refer to for a better business case? And John, this is always a really good phrase when anybody says, is this the best? <laughs> We're good to get a variety of different answers kind of from the panel. It's certainly a key element referring to the Green Book, which for those of you who don't know, if you work in the public sector in the UK, the Green Book is a really important part of the guidance issued for public sector business cases. And um, Eileen, you've seen a lot of these both in public sector clients and also commercial clients. What are your thoughts as to the best documentation to start from? 
umbrella. It's, it's struggling with that term best as ever. Um, the, the green book is is the mandated um, rules and instructions and specific uh, variables that you need to use when producing a business case uh, for the uh, public sector in the UK. Um, so it's a great reference book and it has an awful lot of the guidance in. But actually, and I think there's um, uh, somebody who's going to put a link in the meeting. Actually, the there is some specific guidance about kind of based on the green book about how to build a business case. And there's one for mm. uh, building a project business case, one for building a program business case. But recognizing that even though that uh, best practice was developed in the UK, there is actually uh, some complementary guidance, which is about how to build international business cases as well. So, you know, much as it started here, we do recognise that actually this best practice is relevant universally, but also very much used in the private sector as well as the public sector. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that. When um, the, the uh, guidance was being um, adopted in Indonesia, um, some of the terminology from the Green Book was highly relevant. You know, the concepts were highly relevant, but the specificity around um, uh, public sector procurement in that country is a little different. And so it needed to be adapted for that particular set of circumstances. So it makes complete sense to me um, uh, what you were saying. So thank you very much indeed. Shola, your thoughts on the five case model? Um this is recommended by the UK government, as you guys have said. Now, there are other recommended templates, you might call them. For example, there's a good one as well from COVID, when you're implementing new COVID programs. But an earlier question was talking about different business cases for lean, for projects, for programs or products. We have quite a few of them, and I can really reconfirm that, yes, the Green Book contains, in my personal opinion, the best guidance to refer to when drawing up your business case. Why am I saying that? Because it covers those five cases, as we've mentioned a couple of times, helping to convince potential investors as to why they should invest in this particular business change. Okay, thank you so much indeed. So um, one of the thoughts that I would have is if you're diving into things like the Green Book and the five case business model and so on, um, sometimes it's helpful to have a guide, a mentor, a coach, if you like. And all the panelists today are open to professional connections via their LinkedIn profiles. And you can find all of those on the APMG International website on today's event. It's really super easy to find. So just hop over there and you'll find a little profile of each person and a link through to their LinkedIn profile and you know invite them to connect uh, with you. That's a great place to start. Uh, please don't... Please don't try to sell them things. That's not really what that invitation is for. But it's there so that you can connect with them and kind of say, look, you know, I'm this is me and this is what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I'm being asked to contribute here or maybe you're, you know, looking for your next role and, and a leadership role in building business cases. And I'm, I'm sure everybody on the panel today would be delighted. I certainly would be delighted to have your connection via LinkedIn. So please do do that. And there's a little link, QR code there for you through to that UK government publication, which may well help stimulate your thoughts and get you thinking in ways perhaps you might not have been doing previously. Um, Eileen, your thoughts, please. Sorry. 
And then I just wanted to add one more thing. Uh, as soon as we start mentioning best practice, and I should have mentioned it uh, when I went through that, uh, don't feel as though you need to do every single step in that. Um, okay. Remember that it absolutely needs to be tailored for your organisation. I would hate somebody to read that and think, oh, we can't do all of that. So just kind of pick the bits and go for kind of improvement, continuous improvement in the right direction rather than jump to being actually perfect straight away. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. You know, the the uh, as we said a little earlier, context is everything, you know, from that elevator conversation that starts an idea going through to a 200 page, you know, thoroughly researched and well thought through case. There's a there's a continuum there, and we don't all need to be at one extreme or the other. So really good, thank you very much indeed, panel. Let's move on, Charlotte, and we'll take our next question. Uh, thanks, Nick. We have a question, another question from Milvio. Why is the development of the business case often treated as a hurdle to jump for funding approval? Mm. Laurie, I'm sure you've never seen this happen before in your professional <laughs> career at all, that people ask, what's the answer? Oh, it's 1.54 times return on investment or return on capital deployed or something. And then magically, the business case ends up being exactly that. Um, your thoughts on this one? So, yeah, it's, um, I guess, to simplify, there's often two perspectives of a project. There's the business perspective, which is looking down and asking questions like, is this the best thing for us to do? Will we, does this match our strategy? Will we get a good return on investment? And then there's the delivery team who are more looking at how can we do it? We want to do this. You know, they've got a bit of team cohesion and are typically highly motivated to, to execute the project. That what, that's what makes them very good at what they do. And so it tends to be from the perspective of those who are delivering the project, it's like that, that's where they see it as a hurdle. It's, it's sort of a, a nuisance or something they have to pull together so that they can get the green tick and then keep proceeding along. So it's a, an interesting but, but it's almost a natural perspective that those delivering the project will often see it as a hurdle or a nuisance or, or something that slows them down. But certainly from the business perspective, from that other context, it's a highly valuable decision-making process. So very, very interesting observation. And, you know, it's, it's very rare that those who are responsible for delivering a project who have to pull the information together for or pull together a business case or prepare for a stage gate review, very common for them to see that as, as being something of a hurdle to jump over. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And and you see this from time to time as well on um, uh, on popular television programs to do with, you know, building exotic houses or, you know, making over kitchens and these kinds of things. Some people have a very strong vision. They can visualize in their mind's eye, in their imagination, they can visualize the outcome and it's all wonderful and it's marvelous and all the rest of it. And they struggle sometimes with being able to get that down on paper so that others can truly understand what it is that they're trying to achieve and also justify not just the cash, but also the investment of time and effort and energies that go into it. So really, really good point. Thank you very much indeed. Um, loving that. Um, Mart, let's hear your thoughts and then we'll go to Eileen. I'm imagining this uh, company or organization where um, ideas and creativity is, is flowing freely. And there's usually so many ideas and initiatives that uh, come to the surface. Um, there's only a, 
often so much money to uh, that we can spend or invest. So you have to prioritize, you know, what to focus on and what's 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 important for the organization at that time. So I don't see it so much as a hurdle. It's much more as in if we're going to spend the money, then let's spend it wisely. And that's the whole point of, um, you know, jumping that quote, quote hurdle, which is nothing more than a healthy business. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly agree with that. The value often um, in planning of any description in a business case, in a way, is a plan, you know, for what it is that you want to do. It's not so much in the deliverable. It's in the process that you go through to arrive at the deliverable. It's in the planning. I mean, it's in the development of the business case where you start to really think things through and figure out those little things. And you kind of come across the bumps in the road and and then you figure out a way around them, you know, as part of the business case preparation. So that's a really good point to make. Thank you. Um, Eileen, final thoughts on this? Uh, I think there's a there's a couple of things. Uh, building on what Mort said, an organisation has to decide uh, where it wishes to invest its money. And as exactly as Mort said, it's very often organisations don't have all of the money to invest in all of the things they might want to and therefore uh, need to prioritise. But there's also lots of other areas that need to be considered and uh, dependencies. So things like what resources are going to be available, you know, which individuals, which bits of equipment are going to be used for those various products and not being able to just kind of, and and a lot of organisations do this, they kind of um, agree individual business cases in silos, but actually that wider portfolio portfolio view um, is also very important to understand not just whether we want to invest, but when we want to invest. So the timing and the sequencing with other projects and availabilities uh, available of resources also needs to be uh, considered. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed, panel. Great question, Melvio. Um, Second of the day featured. And if you're watching online and you'd like to submit a question to the panel, it's pretty much your last chance to do that um, just right now. Let's have a look at who's been joining us from um, the community around the world. Um, uh, Thank you very much indeed, Um, Manoranjan. uh, appreciate you joining and for clarifying whereabouts in India you actually are. So thank you very much for doing that. We appreciate it, my friend. Um, so that's good to see you. And um, we've got several people from the Cayman Islands today. And it's just kind of stacking up really here, isn't it? You know, Marsheen is watching as well. And um, I can only believe that that view of the beach and the umbrellas is absolutely outside her her house window. So thank you very much. And Petula as well. And both of them have been um, joining Tanya, who we introduced a little bit earlier, who's in the same location. So brilliant ladies, thank you very much for joining us um, this morning, your time, I think, and um, joining in. Okay, let's move on. Charlotte, I think we've got time for one, maybe two last questions. Let's take the next one, please. Thanks, Nick. Question from Lauren. What competencies and skills are most useful for those preparing and reviewing business cases for large, complex projects? Well, it's always good to be an author. It's even easier sometimes, though, (laughs) to be an editor. And sometimes the third role, the reviewer, is the most pleasurable one as you see people's (laughs) talents starting to come together. Um, Laurie, start us off, and uh, then we're going to hear from Mart. So, um, like so many of our answers, first of all, it depends. And if it's large and complex, you're going to need a diversity of skills 
related to the different risks and impacts and uncertainties that are, are likely to exist for that particular project. But if it's large and complex, I'd say two two skills that you're definitely always going to need is really good um, risk assessment, as in the risk assessment discipline, to be able to set up the sort of structures and frameworks. And the second one that's likely to be handy that's often underrated on large complex projects is somebody like a data scientist or someone who understands statistics and data very well. Because often, um, particularly for large projects, we're largely repeating something that's been done many times somewhere else. And there's a lot of learning that can be done from past history by examining data and statistics and projecting that for the current project. So two common skills that um, I'd say generally are always going to be useful on a large and complex um, business case for a project. Really good point. It's great to augment um, whatever mathematics skills that you have as an individual. It's really important to look across the team and think about those um, uh, data analysts or data science type people, because often some of the statistical evidence for return on investment, perhaps, or even for environmental impact, they're quite complex mathematical models, and they're not for the faint-hearted. So just because a graph makes it look good doesn't necessarily say that's the graph that you want to pick. So it's a really good idea to have somebody on the team who can augment you. So thank you for that, uh, Laurie. Great insight. Um, Mart and then Shola. Uh, being a good influencer, I think, is going to be a, a critical one to be good at. And influencing that can be done not only from a financial aspect or knowing the industry aspect, but also indeed how to present. You just touched on that. Um, and not make it a presentable case and uh, always have that uh, CX perspective, customer experience perspective, um, other ways to influence. So I would all wrap it around being a good influencer. That's a really, really interesting insight that, that you've made there because it's often how we perform these reviews, which is important. It's very easy at the beginning, particularly in version 1A, to be heavy-handed. And you almost crush, you know, the people with the really great ideas. And they just need refinement. That's what they need next. They need a little bit more investment of time and effort, you know, to be able to see the value start to come through. So I think that you're right, Mark, in really thinking about that and acting as the coach in the early days, even if you're reviewing, yeah. saying, this is what I like, this is what needs some more work, is a super important role to have. Um, Sholi, your thoughts, and then we'll hear from Eileen. Yes, adding to what um, Laurie and Matt just said, a lot of um, soft skills and competencies are really very useful, either as a preparer or reviewer of business case. Remember, the business case contains information that will be provided by many different stakeholders. You need to identify the stakeholders, encourage them, influence them to provide relevant information that will influence those that will make those decisions. So your soft skills is, are really important, facilitation skills, communication skills, engagement skills are really key. All right. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. Completely agree with that. Those soft skills need to come through. And um, Eileen, final thoughts on this one? 
Uh, just two things. I think uh, when we're building the business case, we have to remember it's a team effort uh, and you're going to need lots of specialists. So we've talked about the economic case uh, and you may need some economists in there to actually kind of bring some of the kind of the forecasting about what be happening in a particular part of the world or a particular part of the industry. Obviously, bringing finance in to bring their um, knowledge of the kind of the cash flow where grants might be available, uh, as well as your project team in terms of, you know, how we might be delivering that as well as specialists in terms of the solution from either an engineering or an IT perspective. So there's a whole range of kind of subject matter experts you're actually going to um, actually need to get in that. And, and then I think a, a key skill, and it does kind of fit into that soft skills area, is facilitation, about making sure people get the right level of input, that they're actually heard and their individual um input is discussed in the right way. So learning how to really truly facilitate without kind of leading the conversation or trying to get to a particular answer is important. That is such an important insight. Thank you so much, um, Eileen, because more often than not, the people who are in the room doing the reviewing of the content which is being produced are doing it in their, their default meeting style. So they're reading and responding or they are um, broadcasting, you know, certain pieces of information. It, it is much better to run it as a review workshop, I agree with you, and to facilitate, to make sure that all voices are actually heard because um, everybody in that room should be contributing to each of the reviews, no matter how formal or informal they actually are. So working on those facilitation skills is a super important part and definitely bring those in. Excellent. Well, what a brilliant question. Thank you very much indeed, um, Lauren. The other thing that I would say is that I'm not sure it's a skill, but it's certainly something that you need. You, you need to um, have a certain degree of personal fortitude and resilience when you're building business <laughs> cases. You will get an awful lot of people saying, well, that's never going to work. You get an awful lot of people saying, well, I wouldn't do it that way if I were you, or I wouldn't start from here and that kind of thing. So you just need a, a bit of that. Okay, that kind of comes with the territory, and it's a big learning opportunity for you if you actually get the chance to lead on a business case development, all right? And remember Eileen's point early on, your role here with the business case, not necessarily to convince everybody, but simply to surface the pertinent information upon which the organization can make the best informed decision. That's the role, all right? It's not to somehow or another change the weather, <laughs> Not at all. It's just simply to be able to provide the information so that better decisions could be taken. Very good. I think we've got time for one last question, Charlotte, if we may. So let's take that. Although there are other brands out there that also can do this. <laughs> okay, okay. Milvo asks, how do you overcome the Nike just do it mentality? Okay, what a great tagline from Nike. Um, Eileen, your thoughts, then we'll hear from Lauren. All right, just a, a quick one. I think the answer I would suggest is good governance um, about making sure that uh, money um, isn't invested, resources aren't made available. And that kind of just do it mentality can uh, be at any level in the organisation. So kind of right from the top of the organisation, right down to kind of the people on the ground who desperately uh, want to start just kind of doing some of the things that they've talked about in developing that business case. But good governance really is to me is the, uh, is the way to overcome that. 
<laughs> okay, right, very good. I'm loving this question. Thank you so much, Mobia. Uh, Laurie, your thoughts? Then we'll hear from Shola. Um, yeah, so I, I agree completely with Eileen. I think sometimes you have to slow down to speed up. So a lot of that thinking and analysis and questioning process that happens as you pull together a business case really does help mitigate some of the problems and things that could you could run into if you did, you know, just do it. So yeah, the, the idea that you slow down, go through the business case, and you're more likely to set the project up for success um, in all sorts of ways. Okay, thank you very much in, indeed. Um, uh, Shola and then Mart. So the tagline, just do it, was made popular by Nike, wasn't it? They've changed it. It's now until we all win, until the key stakeholders win, um, the measurable improvements or benefits that they want from the organization. That is why the 5K's business case is a winner. And probably that is why <laughs> the Nike has changed the tagline. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. I wasn't I wasn't aware of that, and that probably is more a reflection of um, my purchasing um, capability within the sports shoe industry than anything else, <laughs> I suppose. But there you go. Um, thank you very much indeed, uh, Shola. Um, great insight there. Um, Mart, final thoughts on this? Yeah, thank you, Shola. I just learned something new indeed. Um, my recommendation would be to always stay focused on what's important for the organization at that time. What, what are your priorities? What are your strategies? Um, in other words, what's the direction that you're heading towards? So think before you do something. And when you think, think on what's important. So in, in essence, focus on that. And then uh, don't overthink it. I want to say that as well. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, there's a balance to be struck, you know, from what do they call it? Analysis paralysis sometimes, you know, exactly. if you begin overthinking things, you know, you, you lose that sense of excitement, you know, and the energy that comes with it. Um, often performers will describe that just before they go on stage, even if they are the most accomplished, you know, soloist who's been playing their musical instrument for many years or you know, even somebody at the top of their singing profession or as a public speaker, there's a little bit of nerves. And that nervous energy sometimes is what you need to start well and get your particular project up and running. So very good. Thank you very much indeed, panel. What an interesting episode it's been today as we've been ex exploring the um, Better Business Cases certification and the guidance that underpins that certification and of course if you would like to learn more in a structured way then you can do just point your phone at the icon on the screen and it will jump you over to an explanation about what's involved in learning all about better business cases and indeed joining us online with some of the blogs that we've posted about recently and the backgrounds to people and the history behind you know, this whole guidance, it's all laid out for you there on the internet. Very good. So, panel, let's hear your closing remarks for today, if we can. Um, Laurie, if I may, I'm going to come to you first, and then we will hear from Eileen. Yeah, just uh, th thank you very much, fellow panellists. Really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you, listeners, for your uh, excellent questions, and thanks again, Nick, for hosting. You're most welcome, Laurie. It's great to have you joining, even though it's very late for you. You may not know this, um, everybody, but it's kind of 
you know, early afternoon in the UK in the middle of the night um, in Adelaide. So we appreciate you staying with us, Laurie. So thank you for that. Eileen and then Shola. I think just a, a call out to my PMO colleagues in that um, providing a template is helpful. Providing guidelines on how to complete the template is uh, the really kind of the essential step for the for the project mm. delivery teams. It's such an important point, isn't it, really? Because the template by itself can appear simplistic on one hand, and just as some of the questions do sometimes on Level Up, but when you dig into them, the value is all there. It's yet to be discovered. So good guidance there. Thank you very much, Eileen. Um, Shola, your thoughts, and then we'll hear from Mart. Um, it's just one sentence. We should all keep on learning so we can make wiser decisions and have a better world. Okay. All right. Well, there we are in a nutshell. That's really what Level Up is all about. I'm thinking about updating our tagline, actually, from ideas worth learning through to exactly that. So thank you, Shola. I'm going to make a note of that. I will charge you for that, but um, that's a different (laughs) (laughs) Okay, my friend. Well, we will negotiate. Um, I might need a business case, actually. If it's going to cost me some money, I might need a business case. But I do know who to come to, so thank you for that thought. Um, Mark's final thoughts on today. Well, to build on that a little bit, um, I'm – the uh, creation of a business case requires always some imagination and creative juices. So I found this quote from Albert Einstein, a um, very famous person, I think, a true sign of intelligence is not knowledge, but imagination, he said. Mm. Mm. That's a very, very um, inspiring, actually, um, quote. So thank you for that. And, um, of course, it remains in your imagination until you say it out loud. And saying your ideas out loud is the beginning of the business case development. So there's a really strong link there between Albert Einstein. Think about that for a moment. Albert Einstein and Nick sitting on a Friday afternoon. There's a connection there. All of a moment, I feel feel like the painting of the Sistine Chapel, you know, where the finger touch sparked, you know, the creation of something new. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed, Uh, Mark. Um, Charlotte, an an eclectic mix of questions today. Um, Quite simple at one level, but deeply insightful at another. Your thoughts? Yeah, just to say thank you so much to our panellists and again to our viewers who have submitted the questions. Can't produce a show without the questions. And one last comment on the 10 years and 20,000 examinations. We do have some special offers from our training providers for Better Business Mm. Cases courses to celebrate this um, achievement. All right. Okay. Well, I guess details of that and many others are over on the APMG International website. So do have a little look out for those and why not ahead of the long weekend. Now then, um, thank you very much, panel, on behalf of our producers online um, and over on our website. You may, of course, search for answers to more than the 1,500 now uh, questions um, that have been asked and answered on the various Level Up episodes over the last 150. 50 of those, um, together with things like our podcasts, our audio podcast series, 
and um, our one-to-one interviews. It connects you with more than 170 experts from around the world. And don't forget as well that you may listen to the audio versions of the shows on your preferred podcast platform. Just simply search for Level Up Your Career with APMG International and you will find us in a heartbeat. Now, we take a little break on Monday to celebrate um, the public holiday here in the UK. So we're going to be back next Friday, the 5th of May, with the first of three How to Become episodes, always super popular with people. Digital leadership is actually first. What does it mean to become a digital leader? You know, what is a digital leader, if you like, and how do you go about um, combining that thought leadership of uh, digital transformation also with the practical situational leadership that you need to deliver better outcomes for your organization, your team, and even for yourself, actually, and your family. So followed um, on the 12th, we're going to be looking at how to become a business relationship manager. And um, also then a business analyst actually follows up on Friday the 15th. So a few days apart, those ones. Details, of course, are over on um, our website. So do have a good look over there. Subscribe to the show and we'll send you a personal summary of what's coming up and, of course, how you too can join us here on the panel and level up your career with APMG. Have a brilliant weekend, everybody. We'll see you next time.